Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. You're listening to the Bears Brothers podcast and postgame show, the place where Bears fans across the globe hang out online after every Bears game. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. This is your host, Will DeWitt, and I hope that you had yourself a fantastic Victory Monday. I know I sure did. It's now time to move right on along and begin our Week 9 preview, and in today's episode, we're going to meet the 2-6 and six Buffalo Bills that are coming off a Monday night loss to the New England Patriots. To help us become more acquainted with the Bills, I sat down with Drew Gear. He's from the Rock Power Report podcast as he shed some light on Buffalo's woes and a couple of their positives, especially on their defense. So without wasting another second, let's go ahead and just dive right on into that conversation. Hey, Drew, I appreciate you taking the time to join the show today. I know you were at the game last night. How's it going? Oh, it's going. It's uh, it's going. You know, at 33 years old, you stand outside in the cold and everything else for one of these football games, and while it's an exciting time, I woke up this morning and my ankles hurt, my my hip hurts. I got a <laughs> my back, and it's like I got beat up. It's like I went to a fight, and all I did was go watch a football game. I mean, this getting old thing stinks. <laughs> I'm turning 26 later this week, so I'm gonna say I feel it too, but I'm not gonna rub it in either. So, <laughs> all right. So my first question, I want to begin with this what I'm gonna call offensive misery. You know, scoring six points or less in half the game so far in 2018. Obviously, there's a severe lack of talent on the offensive side of the ball, not being able to win on early downs, uh, leading to a 31st ranking on third down, also dead last in the red zone trips per game and scoring points per game. And as a fan, I'm sure that's you know frustrating to watch. Um, but I'm going to begin with a potentially difficult question to answer, but what's wrong with this offense? And maybe this actually is an easy answer. Is it simply everything? Well, it's a multifaceted question for sure. Um, there's there's a lot that's not right. I mean, my, my producer gave me an analogy last night trying to talk some sense into me as I was ranting and raving on the drive home about how bad our offense was. And the analogy that he gave me was that our offense, when you see something that's this bad and this ineffective, it, it's, it's because of the level of talent just across the board. And the analogy that my producer used was that when we hired Brian Dable to, to be our offensive coordinator, Sean McDermott must have sat him down at some point and said, look, I'm going to, you know, we're going to sit down and we're going to build an offense. And it was as if he had asked him to make chocolate chip cookies. And Dable said, that sounds like a great idea. I like, I like the direction of the team. I like your philosophies. Let's go make cookies. And then he showed up day of and found out that all we had in the cupboard was chocolate chips. 
And they said, well, eh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure something out. And that's what we've been doing for the first eight weeks of the NFL season is just trying to figure something out. We're ad hocking an offense. And it's not good. It's clearly not working. I mean, you're talking about an offensive line that at the beginning of the season, the offensive line was really the the pain point for most fans. I, we, we were taking sacks at an alarming rate. Our offense, you're talking about a team that's been in the top, oh, I'd say the top five for rushing going back to Rex Ryan's first year as a coach. I mean, our rushing offense with LaShawn McCoy has been potent. And you look at what we're doing now, and we're trying to run the same concepts. We just can't execute them. There's no blocking. It's, And a lot of that, those struggles are amplified by the lack of talent at wide receiver, which has, our fan base has kind of shifted their angst from, okay, the offensive line, maybe they're getting too bad of a rap. Let's focus on these wide receivers. You have a room full of players who next season, most of them won't be on this roster. I mean, you've got Kelvin Benjamin, who's putting in the least amount of effort that I've seen from a football player in a contract year. I think last night during the ESPN broadcast, Booger McFarland flat out said that uh, Kelvin Benjamin is one Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. So we've got that going for us. I mean, I, we've got a whole group full of ineffective. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. Wide receivers who can't generate natural separation and then you look at the quarterback position and you have what? You have a grab bag of either dubious names like Nathan Peterman, veterans who really aren't didn't have the greatest body of work to begin with with Derek Anderson, or you have a rookie in Josh Allen who looks every part of a raw, un- underdeveloped player. So when you ask what's wrong with their offense, it'd be easier for me to talk about what's right because that would probably only take about 30 seconds. I can tell. That was a very <laughs> long-winded answer, but a very appropriate one at that. And you've obviously uh, just kind of vented out some frustration about this offense. Um, but looking at this organization as a whole and your head coach, Sean McDermott, what's like the fan base's confidence level in the, dire- in the direction of the Buffalo Bills? This is something that I myself lost my mind over in a Periscope video probably about two weeks ago after the Houston Texans game. I think ultimately the fan base, there's definitely people who are on, on edge. You know, the, the, the confidence level of the fan base is not good, which is crazy to think that we were just in the playoffs. We just broke an 18-year, 17-year, almost 18-year playoff drought, and the sky is still falling here. This is the season that we everyone anticipated we were going to have last year. And when it didn't come, everyone was thrilled. But now that it's here, everyone's acting as if last season never happened, which is frustrating. But I can see some of it because I myself have some I have some issues. I mean, first and foremost, I think that the things that stand out aren't so much that he can motivate. I mean, it's clear that you Sean McDermott is a coach that can motivate players and he can get 
I, I want to say he can get better performance than a group of players' talent level would suggest they're capable of. I mean, you, you want proof of that? Just look at our defense this year. Our, we're fielding a top five defense in football some weeks, and at the same time, it's being wasted with this putrid offense. But then there's the decisions like the ones to keep Nathan Peterman around. Instead of going to your GM and saying, look, going into this season, I need a better backup option for Josh Allen. It's things like that that have people on edge because it maybe seems as if even, you know, maybe he knows how to coach offense, but when it comes to off, I mean, coach defense, but when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, Sean McDermott, maybe he just doesn't get it. And that's the vibe that's starting to permeate our fan base. And it's really putting a lot of people on edge. Sure. No doubt. Uh, you guys met my colleague Brandon during uh, that Rams podcast throughout the offseason, and he has here in my notes that you said that the Bills had, and I quote, the worst quarterback room in the entire NFL. Um, you know, he just brought in Derek Anderson. He played almost the entire game yesterday, but now he's down with an injury. So two questions here. One, who do you expect to play Sunday? And two, what should we expect from that player, and what's your confidence level in said quarterback? Unfortunately, Josh Allen is still out with injury. And if Derek Anderson can't, isn't healthy enough to play on a short week's notice, the, I, the, you unfortunately do not have an option if you're the Buffalo Bills coaching staff except to roll out the human turnover machine, Nathan Peterman. I mean, the, he throws the ball to opposing defenses like he was throwing candy away at a parade. And it's it's one of the most frustrating things because when you watch the kid play, you know, you watch him throughout the course of the preseason. You see a guy who really does well when he's asked to. One of the things that Nathan Peterman has really done well over the course of the, you know, the course of his early career is that when you can script up a one read play, if you can say, "Okay, we're going to give you a read, a check down, and if there's nothing there, you just eat the ball or you run it," he throughout the preseason operated really well with in those circumstances. Then when they opened up the playbook and tried to throw more at him, he throws the interceptions. And a lot of it comes from staring just bad tendencies like staring down wide receivers or just not throwing with enough control. So with that, what you're going to what you're going to see if he's our starter, if he is in fact the guy who's under center for us on Sunday, you're going to see a quarterback who can make some throws. He's an accurate passer within that you know, short to intermediate range. At the same time, his ability to read a defense and understand what's happening in front of him is subpar enough that you're also going to see a guy who is literally going to be trying on most pass attempts to give you guys the ball. That's what's going to end up happening. Yeah, I saw his uh, interception rate was like over 12%, which is, you know, it's huge. I can't even put into words just how bad that is. And as a Bills fan, I'm sure you can't either, but... Let's transition to your rushing attack. It's not a one-man show. Shady McCoy and Chris Ivory, they've split carries rather evenly. They're only two apart so far this year, and their stats are rather identical. So I want to know, what's your take on each of these back seasons so far? Like, how are they being utilized, and has the lack of a passing game led to the Bills being unable to establish a run as much as I'm probably thinking? Oh, absolutely. Last night, I'm standing in, I'm, I'm in our seats. Now, we are in the 200 section in New Era Field. Uh, which is a scoreboard side, second tier up, just so we can see the entire field. And I'm watching the way our offense is lining up and the way the Patriots' defense is coming out. I saw more single high safety fronts out of the Patriots 
than I think I've ever watched. Like, and, and maybe it's been like this all season, and I'm just now noticing it, and it's occurring. It's dawning on me that this is what's happening. But they're flooding the box with defenders simply because they know that we don't have a, our, our passing attack is completely toothless. And so with that, you're watching you know, when you combine that with the subpar play we've got from our offensive line. You're looking at a rushing attack where LaShawn McCoy can create when he has space to operate. But unfortunately, he doesn't have any space to operate here. They're not giving it to him. And what little space he could naturally get, defenses are actively working to take away. And that makes it incredibly hard to get anything going. You know, he's a, a east-west, you know, kind of a guy. He, you know, he cuts back and he I – mean, I think that's when he's at his most dangerous. Kind of stretch runs on you know, designed cutbacks and things like that where he can get a defense moving one way, find a crease, and then get upfield. The problem is, is that this season we haven't been able to – we just haven't been able to operate like that. Whether it's because there's extra defenders in the box or whether it's just because our offensive line can't block well enough for us to execute those style of plays. Which is why I think you're seeing that Chris Ivory's having a fair amount of production. His yards per carry aren't bad. He's he's moved the ball. He's he's achieved, I think he has more rushing first downs than LaShawn McCoy does. And a lot of that is because his running style is north and south. He's gonna he's gonna put his foot in the dirt and get upfield as quickly as possible. Because of how limited technically our offensive linemen are, that seems to be the most effective way for us to run the football, which does, I mean, you know, the whole three yards and a pile and a cloud of dust, that style of running doesn't get you very far in the NFL today. Yeah. And you've talked about your offensive line off and on, uh, subpar, uh, you know, less than average. And to put it bluntly, I mean, they've been a very poor unit so far. Teams, they've been able to beat Buffalo at the line of scrimmage consistently all season long. And, you know, it's been one of the many reasons for the offensive struggles, kind of like you've alluded to already. But when it comes down to it, what or maybe who has been the weakness of the offensive line this season? Is it everybody? I I would say, that, honestly, there's been some individuals who I singled out early on in the season as just I, I called them bums. I yelled. I ranted and raved. And then when I went back and really dug into it, it turns out they weren't playing that badly. And you, you, know, you see the sack numbers, and obviously those sack numbers have to be attributed to somebody. So somebody gets credit for those. I mean, our left tackle, Deion Dawkins, he's a hot-button issue for a lot of Bills fans. And part of it is he's playing left tackle, and he played left tackle well enough last season that the team saw fit to get rid of our previous left tackle, Cordy Glenn. The problem was he was doing that when he had a veteran presence at center and a Pro Bowl left guard next to him. Now you've left Dawkins on this island where he's he's not surrounded by top-tier talent like that, and you're finding out that he's got these flaws to his game that almost make you think he'd be better suited to play guard than left tackle. You know, Maybe he could be a Pro Bowl interior lineman with his athleticism, but we don't have a choice but to put him on out there on left tackle. Across the line, I mean, you're just talking about how the center of our line can't get much push in the running game. They're very susceptible to stunts. That's one thing that stuck out to me and something that Cincinnati fans, when they said Russ Bodine, were happy to see him go at center. We, we Good luck with him, Buffalo. We don't need him. So one of the things that they kept saying over and over again is that he's good when the play stays in front of him, but if he has to think and react in terms of a stunt or any kind of you know shift in the defensive front pre-snap, it throws him completely off. And we've seen that to this point in the season. 
And I think, again, that's another reason why our pass protection has been so poor. So really, I think it's just – it's a group of guys who haven't gelled. And I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's just the over. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. All talent level of the players, but you've got a left tackle who's doing an average job and a whole bunch of other guys who are just flailing around out there trying to be competent NFL players. Drew, I, we actually have some breaking news here to discuss, which is interesting for one of these Meet the Opponent episodes. My phone just lit up, and it said that the Bills are expected to start Nathan Peterman. So your instant reaction to that news? Now, I, I figured it was going to be going in that direction. Oh, this you know, you really know how to kick a guy when he's down, man. I'm not wow. trying to. We've been down these past you know four years on this podcast, so I understand completely. This is... This is new territory for us for being, you know, relevant at this point of the season already. Um, but real quick, we do have about 30 seconds left in terms of the offensive discussion. Uh, do you want to tell us what's going right? If I could say that there's anything that they're doing well, I mean, because when you're, when you're only putting up field goals, it's hard to say that anything is going well. I think that one of the things that you're seeing is that Zay Jones has started to find his footing as a wide receiver in the NFL, which is big considering he was a second-round draft pick who we traded up to get with Juju Smith-Schuster still on the board. We traded up to get this wide receiver, knowing that he didn't exactly have an explosive athletic profile. He was more of a possession receiver with some decent route running who, if he cleaned it up, could really become you know a go-to guy. You know, Just a, hey, he's going to get open and catch the ball for six, seven yards at a time. Not a game-breaker, but someone who can make plays. And it really didn't materialize in his first year. So then he came into this season and struggled out of the gate. But it seems these last few weeks he's really kind of finding his footing, which if there's anything that's going right on this offense, at least I have that. All right. Sounds good. And real quick, before we transition over to a few questions about the Bills defense to Drew, I just want to remind you, our listeners, that there's still plenty of time to submit your Bears question for this week's Bears audio mailbag episode. So to get your voice heard on the show, all you need to do is leave us a voicemail at 872-240-4007. Again, that number is 872-240-4007. Make sure to do that soon, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. All right, getting back to business here. Last night, your defense, they really impressed me. They did a fantastic job of limiting Tom Brady and the Patriots. And for the vast majority of the game, the defense did exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, they didn't break. And instead, they forced New England to field goals, settling for field goals, something that the Patriots don't do a lot of. And for the year, they've been pretty solid, the, uh, the Bills' defense has, in terms of yards allowed per game. They're currently sitting sixth in the NFL with only 291 given up. So, Drew, what's the driving force behind this defense that's really enabled them to play so well despite only winning that one game? Well, I think a, I think a big part of what's happening with our defense, and it was something that you didn't see last season, it was the defensive line. Last season, our defensive line, especially on the interior, was it was subpar at best. 
I mean, Kyle Williams is a 35-year-old defensive tackle, but he was taking 40% or 50% of all the snaps at D-tackle, which at this point in his career, he just shouldn't be doing that. And we really struggled to try to contain opposing offensive lines. Coming into this season with the free agent acquisitions, we went out and got Star Latule. We got, we drafted uh, Harrison Phillips. And we also brought in a street free agent to, um, now his name's escaping me, but he's done very well for us this season in a rotation role. With that, our defensive ends, Trent Murphy, you know, Shaq Lawson's playing pretty well have been able to help out Jerry Hughes. The defensive line has been able to control a lot more of the offensive the offensive linemen for our opponents. And it's been able to keep our linebackers cleaner to make plays. And I think that's been a big part of it, especially when you consider how drastically upgraded the athletic profile of our linebackers is this season versus what we started week one last year. Yeah, and let's go right to those linebackers because I want to get your insight on Tremaine Edmonds uh, because you know lots of people in Chicago had him on their draft boards throughout the offseason. And, of course, we now have Roquan Smith, but Edmonds, um, he does bring some different elements to the table, especially with his height. Uh, I know that Edmonds left yesterday's game with a concussion, but would you mind sharing your analysis on his rookie season so far and then what you guys are going to be missing if he's unable to give it a go? Oh, sure. So Tremaine Edmonds was interesting for me because I drank so much after we picked Josh Allen. I was at a Jamaican resort. It was an all-inclusive. I I was a Josh Rosen fan. So we're at this fancy dinner for one of my wife's friends. She's getting married and she wants to have this dinner. And I'm watching the draft on my wife's phone. And when I saw that we drafted Josh Allen, I think I ordered four glasses of rum on the rocks. And the rest of the night just kind of fell apart from there to the point that I didn't realize we drafted him. (laughs) So he was the saving grace of this draft for me. And looking back at it, now you mentioned Roquan Smith. I'm an SEC fan when it comes to college football. I've watched uh, almost all of Roquan Smith's games, and I'm very familiar with him. You guys got, I would say this, at this point in time, I believe that you have the better of the two linebackers, but for very different reasons. When you look at Tremaine Edmonds, Tremaine Edmonds has he's an athletic freak. He's explosive. He's he's six foot five, two hundred and fifty something pounds at nineteen years old. And he's incredibly fast in the short areas of the field. True sideline to sideline linebacker who can be at times even asked to cover slot receivers. So he's got a ton of athleticism. Where Roquan Smith, and I'm sure to this point, and maybe this has kind of come to fruition for you guys. Roquan Smith is a very heady player. You know, there's not a lot. He, he just understands the nuances of playing linebacker, I think, better than Tremaine Edmonds did coming into this season. So through the first eight weeks, I mean, the first four weeks in particular, what you saw out of Tremaine Edmonds was a very explosive kid who sometimes just didn't know what he was seeing in front of him. You know, he had those lapses where he would take the wrong gap and run defense. He would or he would just get fooled by what he was seeing in front of him in coverage and just kind of get lost. But a lot of that comes back to he got by on his just gigantic upside with his athleticism throughout college. So now he's learning the nuances and he's learning. He's understanding NFL football. And we've seen him steadily improve week over week over week to where he's now he's involved in tackles for loss. Last week, he had seven solo tackles out in space. He's. He's just a very sound athlete, well, explosive athlete who's becoming a sounder football player. So for him, 
he is the thing that makes our linebacker core dangerous. And if we don't have him in the lineup and we have to substitute somebody else in, that's going to be a problem. I, I really think our I think more than anything, our run defense is going to suffer just because Matt Milano is a small linebacker. Uh, Lorenzo Alexander isn't exactly a spring chicken. And uh, our backups are journeymen at best. So we don't have anyone with that explosive upside to continue holding our front seven together the way he's done for eight weeks so far. You just mentioned Milano, and he's someone who I wanted to learn a little bit more about because I don't know much about him. And looking at at least the stats, he's up there in terms of he's second on the team in tackles. Uh, he does lead the Bills with seven tackles for a loss. Also five passes defense, three fumble recoveries. So he's always near the ball. Outside, I heard he had a really bad game against the Colts, but has he been a vital element of your defense, or are the stats a little bit misleading here? Oh, no, absolutely. So last season, one of the things that really kind of a statistic that we kind of latched onto here with our podcast was the concept that when the Bills played nickel defense, we played nickel more, I think, 60 percent of the time, 60 some odd percent of the time. And the thing was, we were better at stopping the run when we played nickel defense and we were better, it was just a better defense overall because we were taking Lorenzo Alexander off the field because he was something of a liability in pass coverage. I mean, he's a 30-something-year-old linebacker who he's better near the line of scrimmage and in the box than he is in coverage, and teams were exploiting that. So Milano finding his footing has been a giant boon for this team because it's allowed us to play more of that style of football. And for Matt Milano, he's he's an interesting player because when he was drafted, I didn't think much of the pick. He came from Boston College, and he was a former safety which is why he's only six foot one and 200, I believe he's 240 something pounds, somewhere in that range. He was essentially a large safety who wasn't fast enough of an athlete or fluid enough to play safety at anything more than a collegiate level. So he moved to linebacker his senior year and then he was a fifth round draft pick for us. And but through the course of his career here, you're seeing those safety tendencies. You know, he plays the ball very well in the air. Like to your point, he's around the ball all the time. He learned those nuances, not from being a linebacker, but from being a safety. Then during his time spent being a linebacker, that's when he figured out how to play better around the line of scrimmage. And so his tackles for a loss are impressive because it shows that with his size, he's learned how to play directly up front behind the defensive line and within the box. But with him and Edmonds next to each other, they're two young building blocks that we can – I mean, I really do think at this point they are the engine making our defense run at this point. Awesome stuff there. Uh, looking at Buffalo's past defense, you know, they've been solid this season as well. Honestly, your entire defense has. But they're only allowing 223 passing yards per game allowed and only 6.3 yards per attempt, which is the third lowest number in the entire NFL. So who are some of those players on like on the back end of your defense that's really making life – a little bit. I want to say entirely difficult because the quarterbacks are still having a over a 95 pass rating against the defense, but at least mm. making, you know, having some resistance, I should say. So who are some of those players that are making a dip, an impact in that secondary? Well, I mean, obviously you, you've got our safety tandem, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. And they're both interesting cases because you've got Micah Hyde, who was a former, you guys are probably familiar with him, a former Green Bay Packer right? who for whatever reason, the team, the Green Bay Packers didn't see him as a safety. They saw him as a cornerback. And they said, look, he's a Swiss Army knife, but he's not a guy that we're going to pay like he's a free safety. So then the Bills said, well, we'll take him. We'll take him and plug him into free safety. We don't have anybody. 
and he's been a huge asset for us. And then you add uh, just his ability to cover downfield as well as step up into the box and make plays in the short area. And he's got ball skills. So Hyde is a vital piece. Poyer brings more of a physical element to the safety group. He's he's the guy you're going to see down in the box a little bit more. When there's a tight end trying to make a play, it's usually going to be Poyer coming downhill on them. Or if there's a running back in the flat or something of that nature. Um, and then you've got Tredavious White, who... Tredavious White, when we drafted him, again, I've, I've got a really bad record with trying to predict the success of our draft picks because when I like them, they flop. And when I hate the pick, it turns out that they're they're great and I just look like an idiot, which is why we have so many people <laughs> on during draft season because it's become clear. You know, so many guests and you know different draft analysts because it's clear I don't know what I'm talking about. So with that said, Trey White is a, just a phenomenal cover corner. You know, he's not overly physical. He doesn't have the best size, but he's so hard to shake. He just stays in wide receivers' hip pockets. And most games, when you're watching him play, he's taking away the other team's best receiver. You know, it was it, Hopkins had kind of a quiet day until he burned our number two cornerback when we played the Texans. I mean, that's that. There is a perfect example of that. Um, so. It's when you look at at least those three players, I mean, we have a fourth cornerback who, if you guys, if your offensive coordinator is listening to this, Philip Gaines, Philip Gaines gives up at least one catch of 20 yards or more every single game. So if there was anybody in our secondary to target, it's that guy. He stinks on ice. But you look at those three players and you see three guys who have been to borderline Pro Bowl talents. Trey White was in the running for Defensive Rookie of the Year last year. Poyer and Hyde have both just played phenomenal, and they've gelled together as a solid unit. Now, it's interesting that you brought up the completion percentage uh, or the the passer rating, the 95 point uh, – what was it, 95.6? I think that's what it was. I looked it up this morning during the prep, but, yeah, it's somewhere around there. Okay, so – I'll, I want to explain to you why that's a little bit – it's one of the situations where stats don't tell the story. Sure. 95.6 being the passer rating allowed, on paper you'd say, okay, well, this secondary must stink. Going back to last season, nobody knew who Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier were. Nobody knew them, and nobody knew who Trey White was. The three of them combined – they each had five interceptions, and they were, they were one of the best coverage units in football. So starting this season, you've got a rookie linebacker, a second-year linebacker, and a cornerback turnstile at cornerback number two, which, I mean, I'm sure you heard Vontae Davis quit halfway through a game and retired from football. That's how bad things have been at cornerback two for us. So with that, teams came into this season with a mindset of, look, we're not going to feed these guys turnovers. We're just not going to do it. And so instead, through the first three weeks of the season, what you saw, the Baltimore game, you look at the scoreboard and you say, wow, that's a blowout. They must have thrown the ball all over them. All but three of their pass attempts came within five yards of the line of scrimmage. You go to the Chargers game. You look at the scoreboard and you say, wow, that's a blowout. Yeah, They ran away with it. They must have thrown the ball all over them. All but one of their pass attempts was under 10 yards. Teams have figured out, okay, these rookies don't see the field all that well. The second cornerback over here is not good in run support, no matter who they plug in there. And outside of putting a third safety on the field, 
we think we can dink and dunk, and that's what teams have been doing, and it's worked. I mean, the Colts game, the Chargers game, the the Baltimore Ravens game. Any team that's done that with some you know, success has usually come out on top. And I think that that's why you see those inflated quarterback numbers, when in reality, it's very difficult to throw down the field against this secondary. Yeah, I saw you didn't give up a ton of passes for 20 or more this season, which is a very good indicator of just that. Uh, switching over here to your pass rush, looking at that, you guys have a very modest 21 sacks so far this season. That is one more than Chicago. And even though Kyle Williams, he does lead the sack, uh, team in sacks with six, um, it's actually been Jerry Hughes who I've noticed getting in the backfield more consistently. He does lead the team with 40 pressures on the year. So how would you assess the Bills' pass rush and maybe explain what's behind these solid numbers? Well, honestly, the Bills' pass rush last year was such a problem for the Bills that they had the team had no choice but to go out and go out and do something about it. So they spent a, a good chunk of change getting bringing in uh, pass rusher Trent Murphy from the Washington Redskins. They bring him in just so that teams can't keep sliding protection. I mean, Murphy in and of himself, his sack numbers aren't great, and his health has kind of been spotty. But what you get with him is at least his presence on the field has kept teams from being able to slide all their protection to Jerry Hughes' side of the field. And with that, you're seeing the numbers that Jerry Hughes is capable of putting up when he has a decent compliment. I mean, I think people here in Buffalo forget that his best years, the, the years that got him paid, came when Mario Williams was still in his prime and still cared about playing the game of football and was lined up on the opposite side of him. So with that, what you're seeing out of Jerry Hughes is a season that he hasn't been able to have in a while simply because there was he was the focal point of every offensive line and every offensive coordinator in terms of trying to stop the pass rush. I, I mean, I what I think you're also seeing some wrinkles that we've been able to mix in to our pass rush is with Tremaine Edmonds, which is, again, something we'll lose if he can't play. His athleticism allows him to come on a lot of delayed blitzes, especially in the A-gap. Now, that's something that you know, most quarterbacks struggle with. You know, Tom Brady has a hard time if you get pressure in his face consistently. So with that and all of these different moving parts now that we have versus just having Jerry Hughes for the last two seasons on his own trying to create plays, you're seeing a slow kind of resurgence in our pass rush. I think it's underrated is what I would call it if I had to, if I had to pick a word. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to mention about the Bills? Uh, offense, defense, special teams that we haven't talked about yet that you think our listeners should know heading into the game week? Uh, well, special teams. Special teams, this is something that normally you don't think you, – you I don't want to say you don't think about it, but you don't think about it in terms of playing a vital role in the game. I mean, it's the, I mean obviously football is a three-phase sport, and you have to be good at all of them. One of the things that we – we have a rookie punter. Now, this rookie punter has had his shares of ups and downs. There was the Houston Texans game. Uh, early in the season, he had a fumble in the Texans game. Our special teams unit as a whole doesn't tackle very well. Now, I don't know the quality of your returner, but they really when you talk about these water bug type returners, they really struggle trying to make open field tackles. So field position is going to be important. And I think that you guys already have an advantage of that just because of the quality of our special teams unit You know, for as good as our defense is. If we can't keep you guys from scoring, it doesn't matter. You know, our offense isn't going to put up points. They're just not. So if we can't keep the game to below, ooh, I would say the game like this, you would have to find a way to keep you guys from scoring fewer than 17 points for us to even have a shot at it. And even that's being a little bit optimistic. And I think that special teams could play a vital role, 
But again, you've got a rookie punter who's mistake prone. And that could really bear fruit for you guys when it comes to putting points on the board. Very interesting. Good stuff there, Drew. All right. So I just have one more question. It's how I get how I end every Meet the Opponent episode. It's a two parter. And the first part is and good luck. What do the Bills need to do to beat the Bears on Sunday? <laughs> what do the Bills have to do to beat the Bears on Sunday? Um, I think they need to round up every celebrity preacher, priest, um, Joel Olstein, whoever they can find who might be able to come and just take a knee and pray outside the stadium for four quarters. Like That's it. If you can do that, then maybe we got a shot at this. Otherwise, with Nathan Peterman under center, I just see a very long day. Hey, we did lose to Brock Osweiler a couple weeks back. <laughs> That's because Brock Osweiler has been here's, – here's a stat that your fans, maybe they do know. Brock Osweiler, I don't know why, but he's your team's kryptonite. I know. I know, right? His first career start with every single one of the three teams that he's been on has resulted in a win over the Chicago Bears. How yes. does this happen? <laughs> it's, it's odd. It's uh. It's a little depressing for our side of things, but uh, no, that's a very interesting stat to say the least. But getting back on track, last part of that two-part question, of course, is going to be the flip side of it. Uh, what's going to lead to Buffalo's demise and a Bears win? Well, I think a lot of it, a lot of it's going to revolve around our inability to move the football. I mean, you guys aren't slouches. I mean, your defense. I've, I've looked over the numbers, and your defense has had some games where they've given up points. They've given up yardage. Um, I mean, I think the, the box score against the Patriots was a little overinflated just because of the special teams touchdowns. But the def- you, people can move the ball against your defense. Those would be people with NFL-caliber offenses, though. We're talking about a team that does not have the ability to throw the football. And just add in the fact that our quarterback is a turnover machine and that he has no interest in throwing the ball to guys with his own jersey on. Um, It's I really think that that's going to be the nightmare scenario for us is that we get down early and have no choice but to throw because that's how you lose this football game. All right. That's all I have for you, Joe. I really want to just thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time to share some insight on your bills. And I'm wishing you guys all the luck moving forward after this week. After <laughs> I was going to say week. after this week. Huh? After this week. Thanks yeah. for having us. It was a great time. There you have it. That'll do it for this episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Remember to give us a call at 872-240-4007 with your Bears questions for our audio mailbag, which is up next. Now, I hope you have a great Halloween. I'm going to be out trick-or-treating with my son tomorrow. His costume, he's going to be a monster. A monster of a midway. That's right. He's going to be going as a Chicago Bears player. Now, you may be wondering, who did he choose? Well, actually, himself, because he hopes to be a player one day. So, my kid, he has some high aspirations. But, all right, we'll talk to you soon. But until then, bear down, Chicago. Bear down, Chicago. Bear down, Chicago.